So we are going to go ahead and get started. Thank you everyone who is joining us. Thank you for joining us for the first annual virtual speak out, Silence Hides Violence. This is brought to you by NDV Healing and Support Incorporated. I'm Teresa Simon, Executive Director and Founder of NDV Narcissistic Domestic Violence Healing and Support Incorporated. Teresa Simon, Executive Director and Founder. <laughs> The mission of NDV Healing and Support Incorporated is empowering women through education on domestic violence, providing comprehensive support services and advocacy for domestic violence survivors, and promoting awareness throughout the community. NDV Healing and Support Incorporated has several events throughout the month of October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Almost all the events this month are virtual and we would like for you to join us for our community panel, which is live on Facebook on October 22nd on the Narcissistic Domestic Violence Healing and Support page, as well as our candlelight vigil live on Facebook on October 16th in remembrance of those lives lost due to domestic violence. And that will also be on this same page, the Narcissistic Domestic Violence Healing page. NDV Healing and Support Incorporated also has a live virtual wine tasting event to raise funds and those funds will go towards programs and services for victims of domestic violence to fund programs and services. There's also an NDV GoFundMe fundraiser or you can donate directly via the NDV Healing and Support Incorporated website, which is https colon slash slash ndvhealingsupportinc.org. Finally, business owners, there are sponsorship opportunities available for all of our virtual events this month. So please email us at domesticviolencehealing@outlook.com. Our first annual virtual speak out event is an event designed to bring awareness to domestic violence and allow survivors to share their stories and how they were able to rise above the ashes. It is our hope that you can learn a great deal from the survivors who are sharing their stories. And also some of the survivors will be joining us on the NDV Healing Podcast. Without further ado, we will introduce our guest speakers. We have an all-star group of guest speakers tonight, so you guys are really in for a treat. Our first speaker is Michelle Jewsberry. 
Michelle Jewsberry is an international philanthropist, speaker, author, and coach that has traveled the world as an advocate for the less fortunate. Her desire to help victims of domestic abuse came from her personal experience. In 2017, Michelle founded Unsilenced Voices, a nonprofit organization focused on inspiring change in communities around the globe by encouraging victims to break free and survivors to speak up about domestic violence and sexual assault. She has since completed and published her personal memoir, But I Love Him. But I Love Him is a painful yet inspirational true story of a, young, of a strong independent woman caught in the horrifying cycle of domestic violence and how she escaped. Welcome, Michelle Jewsberry. Thank you so much, um, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, this platform is an amazing platform to help educate the community and also provide some resources to survivors and victims out there, especially during COVID. So I know I only have about five or six minutes to tell my story. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna start from the beginning. Um, Fast forward my life until I'm like 20 years old and I have a yearning desire to have something more in my life. So I end up packing my car to the brim and moving my happy little butt to Hollywood, California from North Idaho. And I wanted to be a Hollywood star. So I, I still live in LA and in LA, I, I was producing plays and starring in uh, features and independence, doing a lot of commercials. And then I ended up meeting somebody who swept me off my feet. We're gonna call him Paul. Uh, Paul courted me, sent me flowers and gifts. And really, I thought he was my knight in shining armor. And about four months into the relationship was the first sign of physical violence. And he had pushed me so hard against a wall that my head ended up going through it. And I remember stepping forward and looking back behind me. And the only thing I thought was I just need to patch the hole, not that I was in trouble and I needed to leave. And this is something that a lot of victims of domestic violence don't even think of, that they are in trouble, that this is um, a cycle and not a, not a good relationship or a good place for them to be. Well, I ended up staying with my abuser for roughly four years. And during those four years, I endured psychological manipulation, physical violence, sexual abuse, and financial abuse. And it was crazy when I finally escaped. I sat in front of my computer, very similar to what we're all doing right now, sitting in front of our computers. And I started to document what happened to me. And when I started to document that, then it came out in aha moments. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that this is me I'm reading about. Well, from there, I decided I needed to do more. And I um, dove into therapy and dove into self-help to make sure that I could recover. And I ended up writing and performing a solo play called But I Love Him in 2016. And then people started coming up to me and asking me about their experience in abuse and help. So from there, I started a nonprofit organization called Unsilenced Voices here behind me. And we work in Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Rwanda, and also the United States to provide resources to survivors and education to the community, just like Teresa is doing here. And from there, I published my first book, But I Love Him, right here. Same title as my play, but of course, a different platform. It's my full memoir and um, 
experience in an abusive relationship. And I've been speaking on stages all around the world since. And I've been on probably about 100 different platforms now, live and virtual, um, because of my abusive relationship. And what's crazy is that oftentimes people stay in victimhood. And what we help to teach people is that you don't need to be a victim, but you can be a victor. And what happens to you, it doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define your character. It doesn't define um, your personality or, um, or where you're going in your life. It's an experience. So we oftentimes teach victims and survivors that it is something that you went through, yes. And you can actually monetize that. You can provide resources to other people because you have gone through that, but it is not your life. And you can still live a happy, wonderful life after abuse. And a lot of our clients come to us um, needing help and seeking advice. And that advice is just to speak up. So we have over 20 some odd people on this platform, all of which are survivors of domestic violence. And all of these speakers have something to offer you. And if you're listening and if you're going through abuse right now, make sure you know that you're not alone. There are 22 speakers on this platform who experience violence in some horrific ways. And they still are here speaking up against the injustice that happens worldwide. So know that you have people um, by your back, know that you've got people who support you and just take that step forward and break through that horrific cycle. And then once you speak up, you start to feel better. Uh, I actually offer a free gift. So if you're in the United States, make sure to text the word UNITE to 26786. Again, it's UNITE to 26786. And you'll get a PDF of a five-step system to help you overcome obstacles and trauma. Um, so again, text that. I don't have time to go into the um, education part because I know my time's almost up. But again, it's UNITE to 26786. And, uh, listen to all the amazing speakers. So thank you, Teresa, for putting me on this platform. And thank you to everybody who's watching and listening. Thank you. And we're so excited to have you. Thank you, Michelle. And our next speaker is Takesha Newsom. She is the author of Tried in the Fire, which is a really good book, and is boldly sharing her testimony of survival over abuse to give God glory. She is the mother of six children and she was born to two amazing parents and raised in the Chicagoland area. In her free time, she enjoys spending time with her family, writing, listening to music, and being active in her church. Her past has spurred her desire to write and speak to women of all ages in hopes that it will give them the courage and the strength to get free from their own destructive and abusive relationships and find hope and freedom in the love of God. So thank you and welcome to Keisha Newsom. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so uh, excited to be here and share my story. And I tend to like to start my uh, sharing my story from the end. And uh, I remember the date like it was yesterday. It was April 28th or actually April 27th, 2009. Uh, I found myself in a um, state where I was just like up to here, I had had enough. And 
I grabbed a Paula Dean cookbook. I love to bake. That is actually a passion of mine. And I just opened it up to the front page and I looked down and it said, I decided enough was enough and I was taking my life back. And in that moment, I knew that that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I got down on my knees and I cried out to God. And I said, if you are really real, if you are really this person that I grew up learning about, then you will get me out of this situation. Because see, what you don't know is that up until that point, I had endured the most horrific um, forms of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, even spiritual abuse. Um, I was even forced to give birth to my son at home by myself in the bathtub. Um, I cut the umbilical cord. Um, delivered the placenta with no no medical attention at all. I mean, this person was just so evil. I was um, pretty much held captive in my home. Uh, I was forced to homeschool my children. We could not leave. We were confined to one room in the house. Um, I was not allowed to have any contact with my family. I could not work. Um, and, and that was just pretty much the life that I thought that I was destined to have. And uh, I knew when I looked in my children's eyes, I knew that there had to be something more. I knew that there had to be something better for me. And this was not the life that I wanted for my children. And um, that is really what kept me going. So on April 27th, when I prayed that prayer and cried my heart out. And up until that point, I felt as though, uh, you know, God didn't hear me, you know, maybe I was just destined to live this life. And so I, I prayed that prayer and I went to sleep and I had the best sleep that I had had in seven years up until that point. And when I woke up the next morning, I had no idea that the Lord had already worked it out. And I came home <laughs> in less than 24 hours after I prayed that prayer. So glory be to God, he worked it out. And since I've been home, um, when, I, when I prayed that prayer, I said that uh, I made a vow to him. And I said, if he got me out of that situation and gave me a way of escape, that I wouldn't look back. I wouldn't come back because I had, I had um, left and came back. That was my third time. I told him I wouldn't come back and I would serve him and I would raise my children to do the same. And that's what I've been doing. So this past April made 11 years. I've been serving him. I've been raising my children to do the same. And I just enjoy sharing my story. And that um, it, no, it doesn't matter what storms we may face and a lot of times we stay in these situations because you know like me i have a lot of children i was not able to work so how am i going to take care of my kids if i leave them you know this is my only means of support i didn't think that i had my family to count on you know and what was i going to do you know and he, of course he had um, brainwashed me into thinking that nobody would ever want me and, you know, that I wasn't good enough, you know, all those lies they tell us. But, you know, the Lord just, uh, when I came out of that storm, there was provision there. So I just want to encourage, you know, anyone that's out there listening that 
when you come out of this storm, just know that the provision is there for you, that the support is there for you. There are organizations such as this one that Teresa has that and, and Michelle that came before me. There are organizations that are out there to help you, to support you, and just know that we are here with you to make it through and there is light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I, I'm just so grateful, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on here. And everyone, um, please go check out her book, um, Try It in the Fire, as well as Michelle's Jewsberry's book, um, But I Love Him. So those are two very good resources and go ahead and check those books out. Thank you so much. Okay, and we are moving on to our next guest speaker. Her name is Jamie Wright, and Jamie Wright is a domestic violence survivor, a powerful speaker, coach, activist, advocate, and author of the upcoming book, The Power of Overcoming Shame and Learning to Love Yourself Again. She has endured sexual and physical abuse before becoming a victim of domestic violence, and as an advocate and activist for women domestic violence survivors, she motivates, encourages, empowers, others to overcome and transform their shame and trauma into self-love. Jamie has shared her story for 60 Minutes and BBC News on domestic violence and has also been a part of the HAWC Leadership Campaign and Luncheon. Jamie is also a senior analyst with nearly two decades in finance and auditing with the federal government. So thank you and welcome Jamie Wright. Thank you, ladies. It's an absolute honor and privilege to be um, a part of this. And thank you, Teresa, for the opportunity to share my story, hopefully in a way that it uh, touches and moves and inspires um, a young, another young lady or even, even a young man that might be experiencing abuse. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, my story uh, in, a, in a very quick nutshell is uh, I became uh, a victim of domestic violence in the face of COVID. I had to flee my um, residence to get away from my abuser on April 23rd, Keisha, of this year of 2020. And uh, I found myself at a uh, women's shelter here in the Houston area, actually it's Houston um, Area Women's Center. And um, I absolutely thank God for those resources for ladies like Michelle and Teresa in the organization here in Houston in the National Domestic Violence um, Organization. So yeah, and, and my story is I uh, became very desensitized to physical abuse and sexual abuse from the time I was five years old. I gave birth to my oldest daughter uh, when I was 14 years old. She's now and so fast forward to find myself back in a domestic violence situation, meaning back like I grew up in that, in that type of environment. I'm a educated woman. I have a master's degree and all these things, you know, going for me. I make six figures and blah, blah, blah. However, I still found myself very much uh, uh, a victim of domestic violence. And like Michelle and Takesha said, the first, physical assault, I didn't think to leave, or I didn't think to, um, to recognize that I needed healing in order to 
know that I deserved better in life. The first thought was, Jamie, shut up. Don't, don't say that to him. Don't trigger him. So my hope and my prayer by sharing myself in such a way that makes me even vulnerable. Y'all hear the shaking in my voice, right? Because I'm still very much going through my healing process as we speak. But my prayer is that by me sharing myself in this way, it will encourage other people that might be like the title of this platform, suffering um, in silence, a voice and give them courage to know that they're not alone. There are resources. However, for me, it was about making the decision, deciding like Takesha said, enough is enough making this, the decision and leaning into that, that's where I got my courage to, to leave and push and be on this platform and in the, in the um, middle of writing my book right now as we speak and actually have other speaking engagements with some pretty high-end television shows in the face of my healing, ladies and gentlemen that might be, be, um, yes. be watching, right? In the face of my healing. So lean into it. Know you're not alone know that there's resources, know that there is a part of you that may have disconnected because of the abuse, right? That when you make the decision to push and just lean in it and trust and begin to try, begin to trust yourself again, you will come out on the other side and it'll be amazing. So the details of my story, you can find on 60 Minutes Quibi, but if you visit my website, my amazing um, coach, Michelle Jewsberry, is helping me to push myself uh, in a way that I'm on this platform shaking, you know, scared, but pulled and pulled by my purpose, right? So um, my website is uh, www.jamie, and that's J-A-M-I-E, my middle initial is R and my last name right, W-R-I-G-H-T dot com. So if I can do it and it meaning push, right, from 14 years old to 40 years old, finding myself in a women's shelter three months ago or six months ago, then you all can absolutely push and you'll push and you'll find yourself on the other side, sharing your story with amazing, strong, intelligent, beautiful women like I'm with tonight. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank so you. Such an amazing testimony. And so many of you have such amazing testimonies. I'm, I'm just really blown away. Thank you so much. We're going to go to our next speaker, Stacy Shaw. And Stacy Shaw is a diver has a diverse background in facilities management, business ownership, and real estate support, as well as owning her own virtual assistant and business consulting company. Stacy Shaw is the president and co-founder of Destined to be Free, nonprofit organization, and Stacy is also a contributing author for Surviving Her an anthology that shares the stories of eight powerful women who endured domestic violence. She is also in the process of writing her own book, The Day I, That I Broke Free, and she is the founder of a real estate industry consulting and operations company and the vice president and chief administrative officer for Elevation Global Media Group. So welcome Stacy Shaw. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Teresa. It is such a pleasure to be here and to, um, to see all you lovely ladies sharing your story. Um, so to try and sum up my story in five minutes. Wow. So, <laughs> so it, my story actually started over, it's over three relationships. My abuse actually was over three relationships because I didn't know what it was, what it meant to be, um, take the time to get healed. So I ran from one relationship to another, to another. And what I did was I kept attracting the same cycle. So in my first relationship, it was physical and verbal. Um, and in that relationship, actually the guy that I dated, um, he urinated on me, he beat me, um, and he, degraded me he threatened my son at the time my son was five and he threatened my son and it was the saving grace of God that my aunt flew from Jamaica to come and visit me in the United States and he didn't want to be there when she got there so he left but in the middle of that I met somebody and I'm thinking oh you know I can run from this relationship to another one got in the second relationship, which was my marriage for 18 years, which was um, that my marriage was totally verbal, um, psychological, and reproductive um, abuse. And what I mean by reproductive abuse was that um, my husband gave me an option. It was either him or having my baby. And because I was so caught up in pleasing him, and I wanted to make sure that I did everything to please him because I didn't want him to be upset with me. I didn't want the name calling and I just wanted him to be happy. I gave up my baby. I actually aborted my baby to save my marriage. And that was something that tore me up for several years. And I still didn't get healed. Although the pivotal moment in my life that I walked away from my 18 year marriage was when my son, at the time he was 16, he said to me, mom, I hated you. I hated you for all these years. And as a mother, your child telling you that they hate you and you don't know why your child hates you only to find out that he said, I hated you because you didn't protect me from him. Mm -hmm. He said, you never protected me from him because each time that you left home, he would beat me. And I thought you knew. And that day was the day I, I remember, I can remember I was in my living room and I, I did like this with my hands. And I said, I was finished. And I filed for a divorce. And even though I was separated, thinking that I was healed because I wasn't with him, walked straight into another one, which was emotional. And when I had the meltdown from the narcissist, narcissistic um, abuse that I received and had the meltdown, that was when I knew I needed help and I couldn't do it by myself. And I had to go into therapy and I will tell you, I'm still a walk in progress. I'm still working on myself. I am so still where I, I'm, I reflect back on the things that I've gone through and it still hurts to, which in certain areas, but I am in therapy. I have a spiritual coach. 
I started the organization and to share my story and to also to work with other ladies who have been um, in abusive situations. Um, but I want to encourage anybody at all that is in an abusive relationship or they have just come out of an abusive relationship. There is life after abuse. It takes work. It takes work. But there are support groups, just like Theresa's group, just like Michelle. There are so many support groups. And all of, us, all of us together will stand with you and help you through the process and help you and guide you. So I do hope that um, what I shared is just a little bit, um, because I know I only have five minutes, Teresa, so I'm going to um, step back. But I hope that um, really put, um, help someone and thank you again. Thank you and thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank you so much. So we are going to move on to our next speaker, Nancy Gonzalez. She is a speaker, an author, an advocate, transforming lives by navigating audiences to create their roadmap to healing. Nancy's passion to equip her audience with the techniques to live better, not bitter. Nancy founded Mustard Seed Bags of Courage in 2016, a nonprofit organization with the mission to encourage victims of domestic violence to become from victim to survivor. Nancy has won multiple awards for her ministry work and was nationally recognized in November 2019 magazine publication of Women's Day. So everyone, please welcome Nancy Gonzalez. They say that what doesn't kill us will make us stronger. Well, I think there's proof here tonight that we are all Wonder Women because what was supposed to kill us has made us so much stronger. And that's so evident in just hearing everybody speak tonight. I was married to my abuser for 14 years and I had known him for way longer than that. We went to high school together. We were great friends in high school. Believe it or not, he was even the best man at my first wedding. So we were good friends. And as circumstances kind of laid upon us, we started dating and we eventually got married. And as every story goes, he was just the nicest guy in the world. He showered me with jewelry and flowers and nice dinners. Little by little, he started to strip me of my dignity and I didn't even realize it. He verbally abused me, he mentally abused me, financially abused me, and I never even realized that I was in a domestic violence relationship. And I always thought to myself, well, you know, at least he doesn't hit me. So, so he calls me a few names. So he says some really ugly things to me. At least he doesn't hit me. Well, that all changed the night that he came home after drinking with his friends. I was in bed, sound asleep, it was late, and he jumped on top of me. And because I thought he was an intruder, I pushed him off. Well, something inside of him snapped. He started to punch me, pull my hair, kick me, shove me off the bed. And I was able to escape the bedroom, trying to go into the kitchen to call 911. He'd grab their phone and smash it against the wall. And I thought for sure this was it. He's going to kill me. And by now I have three kids with him. Well, he was intoxicated 
and I was able to calm him down and convince him that he just needed to go to bed and just to calm down. He did. And I stayed on the couch for the rest of the day wide awake holding a knife because I didn't know what was coming. After that day, my life was just a mess, constantly walking on eggshells, not knowing what was going to come next. And I knew that I had to get out. So without even realizing it, I started to create an exit plan. And I started to save money without him knowing. I started to save gift cards to grocery stores and fast food restaurants and even Bed Bath & Beyond. And I didn't know why I was doing that. But on April 13th, 2011, at 10.22 p.m., I knew I had to get out. Because if I didn't, I was going to leave in a body bag. I was not going to allow my children to see that. So I left and it was the best thing that I ever did. As time went on, I had to go through my own healing process and I had to figure out what it is that I needed to do with my life because I had lost my identity. I didn't even have an opinion about anything. And one day as I was driving my daughter to school, I heard a sermon about the power of the mustard seed. And as we all know, that verse says that if you have that much faith of that tiny little mustard seed, you can really do anything. Well, I had this thought of, wouldn't it be neat if there's something that I can do in return for victims of domestic violence? When I was in my situation, even though I had the perfect plan and everything was going great, that it eventually blew up in my face, the one thing I forgot to pack were toiletries. And that is something that everyone seems to forget to pack and there's no funding for it. So I decided it would be neat to create these bags and fill them with toiletries. I posted something on Facebook about it because I had that faith of the mustard seed that it would grow. Much to my surprise, that post went viral and it went out of control and I was able to help a lot of victims, but I didn't stop there. My nonprofit has been now around for five years my bags of courage, which is what we call them, are delivered to different agencies, um, different individuals that are going through domestic violence, as well as police departments. So I have the community involved in helping in what I do. And I spend a lot of time speaking to people about being better in their lives, because when we're going through this, we're so bitter and we're so upset over everything that has happened to us. So I try to encourage audiences by making them feel better. And I work with women trying to overcome the obstacles that they have to go through, especially after leaving a domestic violence relationship. And it's one of my greatest passions. And I always say that I am always, believe it or not, very grateful that I came out of this completely alive simply because now I'm able to empower other people because I was one of those women that said, it never happened to me. No man would ever do this to me. And here I was in that situation. So now I am so thrilled that I'm able to help other women and men through this situation, empower them. And by the previous speakers have said, to be able to show them there is life after this. And you know what? You can make this beautiful life. And I tell the ladies that I work with, you have now a brand new clean canvas to paint on. And you, you have control of that paintbrush. Nobody else. So I ask them, what are you going to paint? Because that picture is yours to paint and nobody else's. Thank you, Teresa.
Thank you. And I love that you guys have the mustard seed bags of courage that you give out. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And we are going to go to our next speaker, Melody Hansley. She is a domestic violence survivor and now works as an empowerment coach at a domestic violence shelter for women and children. Melody is both a peer recovery specialist and a certified grief coach. Melody's passion is working with mothers who are overcoming life's unwanted challenges and encouraging them that there is more to their lives than what they have faced. Um, she is the founder of M-O-R-E LLC, which is Mothers Overcoming Real Life Experiences. Melody runs a support group for moms, and Melody shared her story in the best-selling book, 20 Beautiful Women. So please welcome Melody. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for having me. Thank you, ladies, for being so bold to do this because it takes a lot of courage to tell your story. Um, as a grief coach, people think, well, grief is only about losing someone as far as death, but it's not. We lose our power, we lose our strength, we lose ourselves when we go through the domestic violence. We lose a piece of us whenever we're being torn down by words, verbally, mentally, physically beaten. All of those things take something from us. And when it takes something away from us, it makes us feel a little bit less and less. And so what I do is try to reach back out and teach women to love yourself again, find yourself again, find your purpose, find your passion and believe in yourself again. Because if you can find that power, that passion, you can take it back. And so that's what I try to do at the shelter with the women that I deal with there. Because we come in and we're broken. We're broken and people don't understand understand and for years I wore a mask I, I was in a domestic violence situation when I was a teenager fresh out of high school I was going to college for um, a beauty school and I was I fell hell up, head over heels in love with a, a guy and I thought you know it's everything you know I was like um I think Nancy said yeah he bought me things and it was like the greatest thing ever um, two years later, I had two children from him and the abuse became worse. It was, you know, more things that was going wrong. It was not having friends, you know, being, having to come, go to work and come back home. And then I had to hide scars and it just, you know, became so much. But I thought, you know, after I got over that six year relationship that I was good, I would take my power back and I'd go on and I'd meet someone that would treat me right. Well, I found somebody, but that thing started out okay, but there were red flags. And see, sometimes when we've gone through, we don't pay attention to those red flags. We think, you know, okay, it's gonna get better. It'll be okay, you know? that's not the case we have to pay attention to those red flags and i didn't and so things got worse with that um i found myself packing up my children trying to leave from that situation um only to come back again and try to make things work which is something that we tend to do when we go through domestic violence sometimes we think you know okay it was just a mishap and it can work out but it didn't and it got worse and worse and the reason why because when we go back we give our power away. The little bit that we've gained, we give it away each time we go back to that individual and they know that. And they look at us as a weaker link, a weaker vessel, and they continue to take that control over us. 
And so what I had to do was set up my own little plan. And I, at that time, knew nothing about domestic violence. Sorry, you went out a little bit. Okay, am I back in? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I just wanted to say to all of you, just to be encouraged and to remember that the butterfly thought that it was its end, but that was just its beginning and it spread its wings. And now that's what we're gonna do and tell our story and share to the world. Be blessed and thank you again, Teresa. Thank you, and thank you for sharing your testimony. We truly appreciate it, thank you. I love that you are working now at the shelter with the domestic violence victims, that's awesome. Thank you. And it is a big help, and if you find something that you're passionate about, ladies, it, it, you will realize that that gives you more healing because recovery is a process, a forever process. Yeah, yeah. and healing is not linear, linear, so it is definitely a process, absolutely, amen. Okay, and we are going to go to our next guest. Our next guest is Ebony Smith. She is a survivor of domestic violence. She is also the author of Breaking Out the Jail I Built and the founder of Free Birds LLC, a nonprofit organization designed to assist victims of domestic violence become survivors as well. She strives to save the world one woman at a time. Please welcome Ebony Smith. All right. Thank you so much, Teresa. I Thank am you. honored um, that you asked me to be on the panel and congratulations to all of the beautiful women that are um, on the panel today um, for surviving domestic violence. And um, my, uh, I, I just left my abuser, um, it's been two years now um, I was in an eight-year relationship with him. Um, there were red, there were red flags in the beginning. Um, I suffered physical abuse, emotional abuse, and mental abuse. Um, I have had several black eyes, um, been slapped, spit on, um, degraded, called out of my name. Um, he was very controlling, um, kept me isolated from my friends and uh, my family. Um, they, my friends and family were able to, you know, see the signs and see what a monster he was. But me, because, you know, after the abuse, he would be so nice and, um, you know, things would the peaches and cream for a little while. I didn't see it. I was, you know, in love until finally one day I just um, had enough. And before uh, we got together, I was very social and a vibrant woman and always was hanging out with my friends and coworkers and things like that. Um, and he took that away from me. Uh, so one day I just decided that I was tired of living like that. I was tired of being abused and I wanted to get back to loving me again and, um, just take my life back. So I just decided that I was done. 
I went and got a restraining order um, and let him know that I no longer wanted to have anything to do with him. And now that was the best thing that I could have ever done in my life because now um, I'm much happier. I wrote a book, Breaking Out the Jail That I Built. I um, started my nonprofit organization, Freebirds, and I'm just a lot happier. My children are happier and life is so much better. And I just want to encourage anyone who uh, is in a relationship that is displaying signs of domestic violence is to get out now before it's too late. Um, and once I got out, I started realizing what my purpose is, and that is to be a model for victims and let them know that there is life after domestic violence. Thank you, and thank you for sharing. And I like how you said that you you started to go back to wanting to just love yourself. And I feel like that's just really important. You get to that point where you just decide that, you know, enough is enough and, it, and it's time to love myself. So thank you for sharing so much. Thank you. And be sure to also check out her book as well. Thank you. So we're going to go to our next speaker and our next speaker is Eva Mayfield. She is a champion at surviving. Eva was in an abusive marriage for nine years and due to the layoff from the pandemic, she used her time to earn a life coach certification and write her very first book. Her book is an autobiographical account of the nine years in an abusive relationship. It is her why in bringing awareness to domestic violence. She is being a voice to honor those lives that were senselessly, prematurely, and permanently silenced. Please welcome author Eva Mayfield. Hi, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thank you uh, for having me on, Teresa. I appreciate it. I'm going to start like everybody. And you know what's interesting? Um, listening to the six or seven speakers before me, I could take away something from, from every one of those stories. I could definitely relate at some point. Um, with uh, Takesha, um, for me, I owe um, being out of that relationship to God. My book is entitled uh, My Lion's Den, which is from um, the book of Daniel. Um, I feel like with Daniel, of course, the only fault of his was um, put in his den because he worshiped and served the God he did. And for us, a lot of us, you know, we were thrown in, in our lion's den and it, basically a lion's den correlates with a life trial. And for in my case, it's domestic violence, domestic abuse. Um, and for no fault except trying to love someone and being in love with somebody. Um, the differences that I will bring up with mine that, you know, um, I can share that's different than a lot of the speakers before me um, that I find if hindsight is 2020, um, in the beginning of my relationship, I found that um, my abuser wanted to impregnate me right away. I feel that that's a form of control because now you share a child, so you're less likely to leave. And in all honesty, every chance he could get was to impregnate me. I, I had three children with him um, during the nine years because I feel like they feel that's more control with every child, it's harder to leave. Um, the other lesson I, I learned uh, while in, in my trial 
that I feel is significant um, and doesn't get shared very often. I stayed, I was a resident at two different shelters, three different times. And to all of you that currently work in shelters and are advocates, and I do thank you in my book. Um, as a resident, I, I noticed a, 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 a writing that didn't dawn on me at the time. And I feel like it's significant, but there are some women that are so much in despair that they take their own lives. And that's scary to me because I feel like, you know, as domestic violence victims, we're just trying to survive. We're on eggshells. We're not trying to upset nobody. We're just trying to make it to another day without, you know, any form of, of, of injury. Um, where in this case, and, and there is some laws now where I believe in Alabama or, um, there's a gentleman who was convicted for second degree murder because his wife took her life. So um, that was a surprising um, for me. But like I said, initially, um, God delivered me. I was in despair through my whole trial. I've done the, uh, the restraining order for a year um, and how I got out because I actually asked God. Um, about halfway through, I'm like, Lord, am I going to die at my abuser's hands? Just tell me now. It's okay. But at least I'm, I'm aware because at this point, I, I was in so much despair. I wouldn't say I didn't care, but I didn't know what to think. I, I was like um, one of the speakers where you just kind of lost your identity. You couldn't tell you the day of the week, you know, um, and you didn't see an out. It was so dark and there was just no light. So um, the Lord said, no, I will deliver you. And so I believed, even though during my, my despair moments when I was angry that I was in this situation, I would say to the Lord, I know on your time. And I really believed and had faith that he would deliver me. So needless to say, at the end of the relationship, my children started to see the abuse. So they reported it to the school who then um, had to legally get uh, officers involved and then CPS came. So at the very end, um, what was my final straw was um, my CPS, the CPS worker coming into my apartment and saying to me, the next time I come to your apartment, it'll be re to remove your children. And that was it. So I, uh, gave myself two weeks. I gave my two weeks notice. I sold a lot of things in my apartment to raise the funds to leave. And I packed up my, at that time, eight-year-old, five-year-old, and four-year-old. I made sure I had AAA. I checked my car to make this trip. And I drove 1,850 miles away. And the last thing I want to make very clear um, for those of you who may be in your situation, it's never going to stop. And by that, I mean, my abuser, as of this past Saturday, October 3rd, was just released from, uh, from jail um, for uh, second degree battery, aggravated assault of his current love interest. Um, so it just doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. Um, for those of you listening, um, I would like to offer the ebook version of My Lion's Den, if you could just email me, um, my email account is author empower, that's all one word, lowercase at gmail. Um, just put on the, on the search or on the subject line, um, speaker, 
and I will send you an attachment with the ebook version of My Lion's Den. And lastly, I just want to say, stay safe, everyone. And thank you for all you do to bring awareness. Continue to speak out. Thank you. And I like that you touched on some really important points. Um, one of the important points you touched on was that, you know, you, we have to um, make sure that we, everyone gets to their own breaking point. Like it's different for, it's unique for every survivor that which their breaking point. And yours was, you know, when that's, that they were getting ready to have CPS involved. Um, and for me, you know, I was punched in the face, but then after seeing how he reacted after punching me in the face, how he had the mask on for the while because he's, you know, a narcissist. And then of course the mask came off and that to me was a breaking point. So it was interesting how, um, you know, you point out that each survivor has their own breaking point. And the other thing that was really important that you pointed out is that it's not going to stop. It won't get better. Um, especially with, you know, a lot of abusers, this is something that they've had a past of and it happens with every relationship that they get into most of them this is something that just continuously happens so it's it doesn't stop so thank you for pointing that out as well so we're going to go to our next guest speaker we're so excited like i said we have an all-star speaking cast tonight it's just really really wonderful with all of the women sharing their stories our next speaker is shazeda washington and she is a passionate holistic life coach she is passionate about educating, empowering, and equipping individuals on health and finances, and she is the founder of Health Ambassadors. So please welcome her. Good evening, ladies. I hope you all can hear me clearly. Am I coming through loud and clear, Teresa? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I just have to start by saying I've been counting the tiles on my computer screen, and there are 21 tiles, and I'm actually celebrating 21 years of freedom. And so I just wanted to point that out, and I'm so happy to be here. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell, um, I am 21 years free. Uh, I'm whole and healed. Uh, I was 18 when I met the father of my children. I had two beautiful children with this man and was supposed to create a future you know, with this individual. Of course, I wanted it all. I wanted the house. I wanted the big fence. I wanted the two kids and the dog. I wanted it all, right? Had the career. However, that was not the life that was meant for me. Uh, this individual was not a good guy. He was not a good dude. I mean, you know, many of us, we, I was in lust. You know, I can admit it. I mean, he was fine, right? <laughs> he was fine. So I'm going to just speak on it, right? He was, he was fine. And, and he swept me off my feet, and he was eight years my senior. And so, you know, I had all of this in my mind that there was so much I could learn from him and glean from him, and we would build this future. However, you know, it didn't turn out to be that way. And when my kids were four and two, our first children together, um, he ended up having a subsequent child outside of our relationship while we were together. <laughs> However, I decided when my girls were four and two um, that the relationship wasn't going anywhere. And the question that I asked myself and, you know, for a, a young woman or even a young man who might be in a situation right now, because we do have to think about our young men. Um, who are in verbally and physically and emotionally abusive relationships because unfortunately the women that they've partnered with you know haven't been shown a very good example so we you know we have to balance the scales right um they were four and two and i was sitting inside my apartment one day and i asked myself you know when they get older and they ask me why did i stay what would my answer be 
And so that was my breaking point. You know, we all have a breaking point. I suffered verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. Um, it wasn't the knock upside the head. It was the, you know, the choking around the neck. He was 6'3", I'm 5'2", right? <laughs> but uh, what I knew to be true was, and this is just for someone who might be listening or might be, you know, listening to the replay. Predators know how to find victims, right? And you, you know, just like, you know, we've heard tonight with Jamie, the education, the amount of money that you make. Domestic violence does not discriminate. It does not discriminate. It doesn't care how well you speak. It doesn't care how well you dress, what career you have, what neighborhood you live in. Some of our neighbors right now are going through this experience, okay? And so you don't know someone's story until you ask. But I decided to leave that relationship and, you know, I was able to heal myself. I am a, a self-care guru. I love bubble baths. I write journals. Um, I like candles. I drink lots of wine, right? So <laughs> these are the things that I did for myself to really pour back into me. You know, as women, we tend to be givers naturally, and we tend to want to give everything away, not leaving enough for ourselves. And so, you know, as the mother of a now 25 and a 23-year-old, <laughs> beautiful young women, they know that uh, that's not acceptable behavior to be in a relationship with someone who is not going to absolutely adore you and worship the ground that you walk on and take very good care of them. And so I am with you ladies this evening, um, of course, as a survivor, and I appreciate the opportunity to share some of my story. I also participated in the Surviving Her Anthology, um, you know, just to give a deeper background about my story. But I went for many years, not even talking about it, you know, just from relationship to relationship, but there is power in your story. There is power in your story. I was only 18 when I met the guy, I'm 44 today, uh, and I have a lot still to give. Uh, don't give up on love just because you've been in a relationship that didn't feed your spirit, didn't give you what you needed, you still deserve to have it. And so I'm a hopeless romantic, um, you know, I'm still waiting for the one, uh, but it, yeah, not idly, you know, my hands are busy. Um, but I will say that when that right one shows up, I'll be ready. So I appreciate the time tonight, Teresa, for allowing me to share. Again, 21 years of freedom. Um, I, I don't want to look back, only looking forward. And I wish everyone that's on the platform tonight to stay safe and also continue sharing your stories. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're glad, so glad to have you. And you did touch on something really important um, that do not give up on love. One of the ladies that, um, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this nonprofit organization, Stand Up Survivor, out of Florida. One of the ladies, um, Lisa, she is the executive director. She has a series of authors of, it's a collaborative author book, and it's called Love After Abuse. And it's a series of survivors who wrote their story who found love after abuse, and they were able to get into healthy relationships and marriages after abuse. So I love the fact that you you touched on that because it is so important. Just because you've been in an abusive relationship does not mean that you cannot find love. You know, do not give up on it. You definitely have to do the work and do the healing, but you can definitely find love after abuse and find a healthy relationship and get married. So thank you for touching on that. And we are going to move on to our next speaker. Our next speaker is Nadia Manzano, she is a veteran staff sergeant who retired after serving 10 years in the U.S. Army. She has so hosted several events which raise substantial amount of, amounts of money for the community through her nonprofit organization, Step Towards Awareness. 
Her passion has always been to work with business owners so that she can make a difference within the community. She is also the CEO of marketing of a marketing promotions and woman empowerment company called My Sister's Keeper, which has been in business since February of 2020. My Sister's Keeper was designed to bring women together to network and celebrate each other. She prides herself in helping women successfully launch their business. And Nadia is the su survivor of mental abuse from her ex-husband, who she was in a relationship with over 10 years. So please welcome Nadia. Hello, hello, everyone. And thank you so much, Teresa, for this amazing platform um, that you have. And um, my hats and hearts go out to each one of you ladies. Um, I do have to thank, of course, Ms. Stacey D. Shaw, because I am part of her organization, I To Be Free. And because of her organization, I realized that I was really in a abusive relationship many years ago with my husband and not even really realizing the detriment of what it was to me. I always grew up knowing that domestic violence was always someone physically abusing you, not realizing there are different levels to domestic violence. And because of her organization, it really taught me a lot of all the different stages to domestic violence. Um, my abuse was when I was uh, 18, young and in love, and um, my identity just wrapped around um, my husband. I ended up getting married at the age of 21. We met at 18, got married at 21, and um, that young love, he would always, you know, go out, and I would always be the one who would stay at home. I'm the introvert type of person. So I would be the one at home, and he would be the one going out. And at night, he would come home two, three in the morning, and I'll ask the question, oh, where have you been? Why have you been gone so long? And it was just, oh, you know, I'm just having fun with my friends, or I'm partying with my friends. Um, and my, I just really wrapped my whole world around him. Like, I would ask permission, so to speak. Um, you know, can I go here? Can I go there? Do you like what I'm wearing? Things of that nature. Um, and again, you know, being young, and this is something that I always teach my son. So if you're listening and you have teenagers, um, you would definitely want to teach them from now that, especially young women, that they don't need the permission of any man or anyone out there to decide where you go, when you come back, what do you wear, things of that nature. Um, I was just in that, in that world of his opinion mattered so much more than mine. So fast forward to, um, you know, years later, I was in the military. I left um, to Afghanistan, did my year tour, came back from the military, and a month later, I ended up pregnant with my, um, with my son. Um, a month later from being pregnant with my son, I get a phone call from a young lady that said, um, I am pregnant for your husband. So we all have that breaking point, and that was mine, because I did not understand, um, you know, I'm literally in a war zone, and you're in here having a good old time. So my breaking point was really when I could not see the the, the I could not see life with sharing you as my husband with someone else carrying your child. So um, thank goodness for a great support system. Um, my mom and my family where I literally, I was living on my own since 21 and at 
37, I had to go back home to my mom to figure things out again um, and go back home to with my son, pregnant at the time, and then had to go through a divorce, same time. So there was just, you know, the rippling effect of um, having this person just, you feel a, a sense of what could I have done differently to make you not have gone and cheat on me? Or what could I have done differently to make you stay with me? Right. So um, this uh, the message that I really want to give to anyone that's listening is that love yourself. And that way, once you love yourself enough, you realize that when there's someone out there who's not loving you to your standard, that you need to leave because your standard of love for yourself is very high level. So that when someone is treating you below the level of the standard of how you love yourself, that is not the person for you. That is the person that you definitely need to walk away from. It took me years to really um, even share my story because I did not think that mental abuse was something uh, that would it was something, you know what I mean? It wasn't something that you would share because you would think abuse is definitely for me being hit or, you know, ending up with a scar, but I ended up with an emotional scar, right? So that emotional scar is something that needs to be talked about um, as well. So if you're in a relationship where you are not loved and you are not emotionally satisfied with that person, that is definitely some uh, red flags, so to speak, that you need to walk away from. Um, I want to thank you, Teresa, for bringing me onto this platform. It is a very new for me. Stacy always tells me that I have to get onto these types of platforms to share my story because I never thought that it was a story worth sharing, not realizing that mental abuse was really something. So I want to thank you and all of the ladies who have organizations for domestic violence um, awareness. My hat goes off to you. My heart goes out to you. And, um, you know, my company, my sister keeper is all about supporting each one of you ladies. So definitely let me know if there's something that I can do to help support support your organization because all of our voices matter and they need to be heard and all of our stories um, uh, matter. So thank you so much, Teresa, for the time. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your testimony. One of the things you really touched on that was really important was about emotional abuse. You are correct that so many people, when they think of domestic violence, they only think of the physical aspect of it. But I want to let everyone know, especially those who are listening, domestic violence, yes, there is physical, the physical aspect of it, but there also is emotional abuse. There also is sexual abuse. There also is financial abuse as well as spiritual abuse. And some of the ones that don't get talked about, a lot of times people um, forget about the emotional abuse, um, the sexual abuse, and even also the financial abuse too that survivors go through. So thank you for touching on that and thank you for speaking. And we're going to go to our next guest. Like I said, we have an all-star cast tonight. I'm so excited. Our next guest is Mary Gold Edwards. She is the CEO of JC Freedom House. She came to America after an international career as both a business professional and a Christian minister. Unexpectedly, within her, within her two months of her arrival in America, she found herself in a domestic violence situation and had to flee for her life. When she healed, she campaigned to save a shelter that she had stayed at, and then she began to reopen it as the JC Freedom House and is now currently assisting women in crisis today.
Marigold is the recent recipient of the Georgia House of Representatives Outstanding Citizen Award of 2020. So please welcome Marigold Edwards. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Teresa. And thank you, ladies, you are so inspiring. Oh my goodness, you just inspire me. I mean, days like this don't come often. So thank you, Teresa, for um, just creating this forum. Um, I'm just gonna be as brief as I can. I'm gonna let you a little bit into my world um, of when I suffered domestic violence with a little skit. Get yourself out of here. And when you come back, you'll find your things on the porch. That was what was said to me. It was shouted at me down the street. Um, I, I, I thought to myself, how did I get here? You know, an international career, you know, as a professor, as a CPA. Um, and here I was, a new arrival in America, being thrown out of the house that I purchased by my newly wed husband. And so um, it was just such a shock, um, you know, being shouted at, being um, imprisoned in my own home, being embarrassed in front of friends, and then in public being hit and being controlled. You know, I just couldn't understand it. You know, I just couldn't, how did all that happen so quickly? Um, and I remember after um, he, he told me to get out, uh, I, I, he, he, I was going out anyway. Um, I'd called a friend and he wouldn't let me drive anywhere. There was no transportation in our city. And a friend said, you know, if he does that again, just get a taxi. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I could get a taxi. And it's so funny that you, some of the, the most obvious things, when, when I was going through the domestic violence situation, I didn't think of it, because it's so encompassing. It just, it just goes in on you, you just don't think of obvious things. Anyway, um, he wouldn't drive me, so I was going down the road. I was trying to see if I could um, to get a volunteer job. Anyway, um, I was walking down the road, and um, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll call a taxi. And I was walking, after he told me he'd thrown my things out, um, I saw his car go by, and I thought, okay. And I carried on walking. And so I, I was calling the taxi, and the phone wouldn't work. And so I, I thought, well, what's this? So I phoned, I phoned the, um, the operator. And they, they said, oh, your phone line's just been cut off. Within five minutes, this man had cut off my line. I mean, I was so confused. I thought to myself, if he would do this, he, he must think he owns me. And so um, I, I just got really afraid. And so I remember um, just, I was by the side of the road. It was hot weather, it was Georgia, <laughs> so where I am. But by the side, I was, I was hiding in amongst the trees. And because it was so hot, I didn't want him to see me because it was in the neighborhood. And I was getting bitten by a mosquito. And while I was on the line, I, I quickly um, managed to um, get, get, get my phone back online. And so as soon as I got my phone back online, I, I, um, I called the domestic violence shelter. And just the previous day, 
I, realizing that I was in a domestic violence situation, I called them and I, I attended my first support meeting. And so I called them, I said, you know, I need space in the shelter. And to my surprise, they had space um, because normally they don't have space. I don't know if any of you ladies have tried to call a domestic violence shelter, but normally they don't have space. And so, but they, I, you know, they had space. And I went, um, the police picked me up by the side of the road and I, I went to the shelter and I was just so relieved. Um, I'll be honest, it felt like um, in the shelter, it felt like a, a, an open prison actually, because I couldn't get out because it was too near my house and, um, and I didn't have a vehicle and it, it was just very, very difficult. And just to, to finish up um, how I came to be what I'm doing, doing now, you know, I thought I was going to go back to my normal professor, being a professor, being the CPA. I wasn't going to be a CPA, but I knew I was going to do a professor or I'll do business support. But just God had different plans. And um, I remember when I was, uh, even when I was going to America, coming to America the first time, I'm going to finish up with a minute. I said, um, my husband at the time wanted me to, he wanted to go to London, which is where I'm from. And... Um, God said, no, I want you to go there. So I was so confused when in within two months of arriving there, I was in this situation. But I came to realize that he wanted me to do the work that I do today from a place of experience. And, and so one of the shelters I stayed at, um, uh, you know, I wanted to save it. I was trying to get it to, to restart, couldn't do it. And in the end, they, they, everybody had to leave. Um, I'd already left at that point and they put it on the market. And what happened was the, the owners reached back out to me and said, oh, do you still want to buy it? And I, can, I can't go into this story, but by a miracle, JC Freedom House is four years old. We're in our fifth year. We're helping women in crisis today. We're recognized by all sections of the community. Great support, as you just said. I don't know how I managed to, as an immigrant, have the Georgia Outstanding Citizen Award. I don't know how all that happened, but I'm giving glory to God. And every one of us, we are winners, we are survivors, and we can make it, and we can make a difference. And Teresa, you are a blessing. Keep doing this work. It is wonderful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your testimony. I just love, love your story. Thank you so much. And you, I know you are doing awesome things with the JC Freedom House. Thank you. And we are going to go to our next speaker. She is Cassandra Cherry. She is the advocate and she is a founder and president of the Ark of Noah, located in Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth area. And the Ark of Noah is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to help those impacted by domestic violence, sexual assault, and it's life's challenges to go from crisis to confidence by educating, equipping, and empowering clients to be their best self. She personally knows what it's like to go from victim to survivor and what she likes to call the next phase, a true conqueror of domestic violence. Cassandra is committed to equipping other survivors with the tools they need to move past their traumatic experiences and empower them to stand up raise their heads, and reclaim their crowns. So please welcome Cassandra Sherry. Thank you, Teresa. Thank I am you. so absolutely honored just to even be in the presence of so many queens that are bold enough to, to get on here, Facebook Live, and just completely share your stories. So thank you. Thank each and every one of you. 
Um, I had something kind of prepared, but as I've just kind of listened through everyone's story, I really want to just kind of jump around a little bit because my story is very similar to most of you. Met this extremely attractive guy who was super charismatic, charming, really, really consistent is what I thought, you know, and really he was isolating me in that consistency of time that he was spending with me. Um, our relationship really progressed. We were together for about two years and the abuse really started emotional and mental initially. And there were so many red flags that I simply chose. I'll be honest, I chose to ignore them. And in ignoring them, things just completely escalated and the abuse became physical. The turning point really for me, um, I was with him for about two years. And in those two years, I ended up getting pregnant. And I think there are so many things going through my mind from the standpoint of, you know, I've been with him all of this time and I've accepted all of this abuse. Why would I leave now? To mm. not really wanting to raise a child alone, not wanting to be another statistic from that standpoint, to not wanting to not have my son be in a two-parent household that was extremely important to me initially. And so there was so much self-doubt there for me that I just thought, if nothing else, I can endure this just so my son has a mother and father in the same household. I didn't even recognize at the time how backwards that is, right? Because if he's in the household and he's abusing and mistreating and victimizing me, what does that teach my son? So at some point I really had to ask myself, do I want my son to be him? And that was really the turning point for me because absolutely not did I want that. And so for me, I just had to really accept the space that I was in and choose to protect my son, even if I chose not to protect myself. Um, I remember thinking, <laughs> God is so awesome. I just remember thinking and praying to God that this dark cloud would eventually just cease because I was so tired of walking on eggshells. I remember praying to God for just like a renewed strength because I felt like I didn't have enough strength to even leave and not go back. I tried to leave several times, but so many times I went back. Um, when it came to my son, his name is Noah, which is how my organization came about, the Ark of Noah, because he's truly the reason. There is no other reason that I would have left that relationship without the strength of God and me wanting to make sure that my son was safe. So like many of you have said, something about the kid, right? Like you have to do so much more for your children. You have a different level of responsibility when you have the children than you may would even do for your, you know, for yourself. Um, something else that I don't think anyone has touched on yet is just the so many of the challenges that you go through so for me it was it's been it was really really rocky after I had my son so there were threats where you know he threatened to kill himself he threatened to kill my son he threatened to kill all of us um so that suicide murder suicide thing him 
kind of being the victim. There were so many times where I felt re-victimized by the police. There were so many times that I felt re-victimized by the court system. You know, I've done the protective orders. I've done the custody battles. I've done the visitations, all of those things. It's a lot, right? Like all of those things, you know, I've had to overcome and I have overcome them. And I'm so grateful to God that he's given me the strength to even be in this capacity where I can speak to it today. Cause there was a long time ago that I couldn't even talk about it, that I couldn't talk about it without crying. So what I wanna say to anybody that's out there watching, the mountain may seem hard, it may seem high, but the one thing that I recognize in every single person that's spoken today is there is pain in, there is purpose in the pain. Every single person that has said something today has made, whether you're talking about it, whether you have a 501c3 nonprofit, whether you have a business out of it, every single person in some capacity is helping other victims or helping other survivors overcome what's happened. So I just want to encourage you to reach out to someone if you are in a situation where you're experiencing domestic violence. You are not alone. There is nothing for you to be ashamed of. It is not your fault. Please put your crown on because you are worthy. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the platform, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. And you are correct. Please wear your crown because there's no shame in it. Exactly. I love that you talked about that. And I also love that you talked about the struggles too, because that is important too. Like I said, um, you know, just to reiterate, reiterate what I said before, financial abuse is a big component of domestic violence. And a lot of times, so many victims after they relieve, leave the relationship, they're left with nothing and they have to rebuild not only um, their life emotionally, but they have to rebuild their life financially as well. So thank you so much for touching on that. And we are going to go to our next guest. So without further ado, we're going to introduce our next guest. The, our next guest is Tanya Austin. She is an author of two books. One of those books is My Secret Life, My Journey Through Domestic Violence, which is a collaboration book with several authors who have experienced domestic violence, including myself. And she has two degrees, and she is also a trauma recovery coach and love and relationship coach. She goes live on social media with the Trauma Recovery Room, and she is very passionate about helping other survivors. So thank you so much for joining us, Tanya, and you take it away. <laughs> Can you hear me? Hi, hello. Yes. Okay, I'm learning this Facebook, I mean, this uh, Zoom thing. Um, thank you, like everybody else said, thank you so, so much for uh, having me on here and the rest of us and creating this space that's safe for women and men that are going through this. Uh, so I do want to thank you for that. And I want to thank the testimonies of all of the ladies before me. And I can swear Cassandra stole my story. <laughs> she literally said everything <laughs> that I was going to say. But for me, it was, I'm, I'm 44. He's 30. So it was, I guess, the cougar thing or whatever, whatever they call it. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it was, I had fun and he swept me off my feet. And like everybody else said, uh, I did notice red flags uh, that I kind of ignored. 
and I can actually say that my 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 experience with this man, and even though he wasn't the first one to abuse me, but he was the first to do like everything, like at a multitude, major capacity. So it played a major impact. It was like my wake up call. So I look at it as my experiences in the past. I didn't learn my lessons from the previous relationships. I was a codependent uh, empath with no boundaries. So when I met this guy, I was the perfect, perfect person. And when he used to tell me that, I, I, I thought it meant something special because he's a narcissist. Uh, so for me, I felt like I belonged. I found where I was, you know, whatever. Because growing up, I had a traumatic experience, which I actually say to uh, people, when you're dating, never tell anybody your whole life. <laughs> that was a major mistake. Because I literally, we had, our first conversation was like four or five hours long. And I literally told this man how to treat me and how to be with me. Not knowing, of course. Uh, a lot of the things were subconsciously done on my end where I accepted a lot of things because growing up seeing your mother and father act a certain way you expect that so to me abuse which I wasn't labeling it that but that was normal so to be called out of my name was like oh, okay whatever what, what, the names that they were calling me my mother called me those names so if your mom's calling you the b word then if somebody else is called you know so I dealt with a lot of the trauma bonding that was my big thing with him i was attached to my past and he was definitely uh uh what how can i say this a reflection <laughs> he was definitely reflecting how i was feeling on the inside although i was running from being sexually abused and raped gang raped and you know cheated on at a younger age i didn't want to face those things my issue was fixing everybody else i was a fixer so that's where the codependency come in. And, and I talk about that in the book, My Secret Life, where I go from where I was able to identify why I was accepting this. So I go all the way back to my childhood and I tell some stories about how I was mentally trained to think that this was okay. Because again, he wasn't the first one. He was just a, all of them put together. So for me, I look at it as God was telling me, now look now, I sent these other ones before you and you ain't learned your lesson. Now this one right here, you're going to get you together. So I tell people, he got me together. <laughs> I appreciate him. To this day, I still love him the way I did, but from a different perspective, because I recognize that the love I had before was not really love. And now going through my healing process and starting the trauma recovery room and becoming a coach to help other people and having my clients, all of that is therapy for me because I learn every day and what I learn, I teach to other people. So again, I thank you for allowing this platform so we can come out and speak our word. But my thing I want to say is my thing for me was the fact that I was older than him he would kind of use that against me, so to speak. So it was as if I was an old lady and nobody's gonna want my old But <laughs> And in the reality, once I started, once I realized, because I didn't know about narcissism at first, but once I started researching and understanding what it was, because I'm a teacher by nature, you know, I'm a student and researcher, I learn quickly. If it's, if it's not right, I, I'm trying to fix it. If it's a situation where people are being traumatized or abused. So for me, just learning about narcissism and empowering myself with that knowledge, I was able to 
use techniques that actually work. Like one of my favorites was the gray rocking, gray rock. I learned that and it absolutely worked. So for me, that was literally turning into something that he definitely didn't want. It was me being as ugly as I could in any kind of way because I was no longer playing that role of being his perfect wife or, you know, being perfect. I, I tried to live up to these subliminal messages that we're taught as kids that you have to do this and you must do this. You shouldn't get this. No divorce. God doesn't like divorcing. You know, it, it's too much pressure. So for me, I've removed religion and everything else and it's just spiritual and energy and, you know, learning to heal from trauma and clearing those things in your mind, releasing the limited beliefs, just the negativity. But I definitely can say my experience changed my life. I appreciate the experience. And it was just like the icing on the cake because I was definitely lost trying to figure out where to go on my path. And this definitely steered me in the right direction. So I appreciate the lessons. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for sharing. And I love what you do that you are now coaching other survivors. So thank you for that. You're thank welcome. you so much. You're welcome. And also, please go ahead. Um, it is available now. So please go ahead and grab your copy of My Secret Life, My Journey Through Domestic Violence. Tanya is a contributing author on that and myself as well. We both share our stories in that book. So please go ahead and get your copy of that as well. I can't wait. And while we're on the subject, so this rolls right into this perfect timing, um, I'm going to introduce our next guest, Donna Marie Lambert. And the reason why I say perfect timing, because she is also a contributing author of My Secret Life, My Journey Through Domestic Violence. Donna is an author, and she is the eldest of eight siblings, mother of three, grandmother of five, wow, and a cosmetologist for over 30 years, minister, chef, paparazzi, consultant, director and domestic violence survivor for over 13 years. So please welcome Donna Lambert. Hi everybody, how are you? Hello. Oh my world. <laughs> thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for allowing me to be here. Never thought I'd end up in a forum as such with so many beautiful and courageous women like this is exciting um so i'll share briefly um of course you know i'm a survivor of domestic violence of 13 a little over 13 years um what i would like to say is that um, i'm definitely humbled i'm very nervous right now uh but what i would like to say is that i i i just recently like found my voice like I've often told bits and pieces of my story here and there. Um, being a cosmetologist, you know, I've serviced a lot of women and my chair has been like my ministry. So I, I, I've helped women, you know, get free throughout me getting free, you know, um, recognizing the signs of domestic violence and everything. But what I want to say is in 2016, um, my youngest cousin, um, in my generation, um, she, she was murdered and um, from d domestic violence. I mean, that's domestic and I have a picture here. And I, um, I wanted to go to the, you know how they have the rally once a year where they do the march and things like that. So I joined the YWCA um, here in Rome and I got off work and I went running to, to see where they were marching. 
and I um I couldn't wait to get there. But the reason why I was going because I was feeling a way about my cousin being killed, you know, being shot in her sleep. And it moved me, it just moved me around that I knew I had to get there. It was all about her. But when I got to this rally and um, speak out, and uh, they ended it in an auditorium and, uh, you know, there were speakers, they asked, you know, if you want to share your story. And like now, I was so nervous. And, um, but I knew I wanted to share about my cousin. But when I got up there, I found myself sharing about my own experience. And I identify so much with so many of you um, tonight because it, the title to my chapter, and I'm gonna share it, is Cry Out, Get Out, and Stay Out. Because for me, just like many of you, it was one relationship, one relationship after the next, you know, of not being healed, of not being delivered, you know, not, not understanding why I continue to attract the same um, abusive men in my life. And, um, you know, so I got married very young at 18. And yes, the signs were already there. I got hit punched down to my knees before I ever even got married. I was engaged, you know, and I threw the rings off, never to return. But of course, you know, he was fine and all that. He was a good looking man and he was suave. He was smooth, he was cool. Um, but what really attracted me to him was that he was, he was a Christian, you know. Um, I wasn't raised up in a church and I, it's like I saw this halo around his head and I just knew when he said I was his wife, oh, I was so flattered. And I just knew, you know, this was it. And um, even though he did what he did to me, he punched me down to my knees. Um, I still let him convince me that he wouldn't do it again and that we would get married. And I did, I got married. I had three beautiful children. Um, but throughout that nine years, I was terribly abused. I mean, I, you know, just like so many of you, I've been punched, I've been stomped, I've been kicked up the block, down the block. I mean, I have bruises on my face where I could say, well, this one did that and this one did that. I still have bruises that I can literally still see to this day. Um, so my thing is that, you know, like, <laughs> it's like you have to heal from this, you know, you have to stop. You know, you just have to stop. So my marriage lasted for nine years and it, it ended because the final straw for me not was uh, getting ready to get thrown off of a balcony, but it was actually a, neck being a knife being drawn to my neck. And that was it for that. So that nine years, you know, was it. And, um, you know, and there's so much in between, but you know, five minutes, right? So, um, then the next relationship after I rested for like five years, so to speak, you know, very lustful human being. I, um, and I know that stemmed from me being molested at the age of eight. And, um, you know, so I just really, to be honest with you, I often thought that I wore a sign on my head. I said, is there a sign on my head that say abuse me, you know? because I really literally thought I had a, a mark on my forehead. So I went through two other relationships and 
abusive again, you know, three times till 2007. And when 2007 came, um, I was hemmed up by my neck with, by a guy that was uh, six feet one. And he was literally about to take his knee while I'm up hanging in the air to kick me up here. And that did it for me. That, that's when I knew I had to get out. And I planned it this time because I had some experience now, right? This is my third domestic violence um, adult situation. And um, I planned it for a whole year. I planned to get out of there. And when the day came, I got out of there. And, um, and I never looked back. I never look back. I, I've been, like I said, I've not only been a survivor, I've been um, relationship free since 2007 on purpose because I needed help and I need to get to know myself. I need to know what makes Donna tick. I need to know why, you know, I thought that I was born to be abused. And I used to cry a lot and ask the most high. I said, Did you, I know you didn't put me here to be abused. I know you didn't, but it seemed like I would always, you know, because I don't, I didn't have no patience. You know what I mean. So my cousin being killed kind of gave me the courage to find my voice. Um, I've always been afraid to tell my story and share my story um, because it begins with my molestation at eight, and it involves my sister's father. And I was always, I, I never wanted to put it out there like that because I felt bad. I didn't, I didn't want to hurt them. You know, I did not want to hurt them. And um, that was a real struggle for me. Um, but the opportunity came just recently and um, I just jumped on the opportunity to finally publish my story because I've written about it many times, but it, it, it never went anywhere, you know? So, um, <sighs> yeah. But what I want to share is that all the people that ever abused me I was able to forgive them. I was able to have a conversation with them uh, to ask me to forgive them and apologize to me and said that they were sorry and they, 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 they were so sorry how they treated me. Um, and others, you know, still, you know, my stepfather, I even invited him to church. I invited him to a Father's Day program and he was just as rude and nasty and violent as he was, you know, even then when I was a little girl. And, um, but for me, I forgave, you know, whether they forgave, you know, whether they forgave themselves, I forgave them and then I forgave myself. And by me forgiving myself, you know, I'm able to be where I am today. I'm not looking for love in all the wrong places today. You know, um, I have other struggles, you know, we have different struggles with food and stuff like that. Cause we still looking for that, that comfort, you know? So I just want to say thank you for letting me share. Um, I just look forward to growing and look forward to sharing my story more. Um, because someone said to me, was my, was my ego so big, uh, so important that I wouldn't share and show up to help someone else. And this mentor of mine said that to me over a year ago, and it finally clicked to me what she was saying. So here I am to share my story and to grow and to continue to help others to be free because we, we can be free.
You know, we can be free. And it's not as easy as it looks. Some people say, why don't you just get out? It's not that easy. Full of fear. I lived in fear most of my life. So I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and I'll too get better at this, what's going on. I don't even know what the Most High is doing, but I surrender to him and I ask him to just have his will in my life and thank all you ladies for sharing. Um, it's really been an awesome evening. Thank you. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you. And I do feel my condolences for your cousin who passed away due to domestic violence. We were actually doing a candlelight vigil um, live from this page, the Narcissistic Domestic Violence page, um, October 16th, and it will be for those who have lost someone due to domestic violence. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much. And we are moving on to our next guest in our all-star guest speaking cast. We have here Risa Jenkins. She is the founder and CEO of Rihanna's Treasured Gifts, a nonprofit organization that advocates for domestic violence. Risa is a certified tutor at Rasmussen College for Business Management, where she is currently attending and finishing up her bachelor's program in human service. So please welcome Risa Jenkins. Okay, sorry, I was trying to figure out how to get off of mute. Hi, ladies. Oh, it's, it's, it's such an honor. It's so humbling to be on this platform with you. I, I promised myself I wasn't going to cry, but, you know, to experience something, you know? And... It's okay. Let it out. Woo, okay. Definitely, it's okay. Let it out. You experience something so traumatic, right? And you have your family, you have your friends, you have the people in the church, you have everybody looking at you trying to figure out what is wrong with her, right? And a lot of people have already touched on saying, you know, why don't she just get out? Why don't you just leave? As if it's just so easy. And to describe exactly what you're dealing with, what you're feeling, what you're battling, you can't put it into words. So <laughs> this is amazing because I've been trying to coach myself like for the last couple of days on what am I gonna say? I'm that person, I gotta be prepared, I gotta have my notes, you know, I let me get my facts straight, let me go ahead and get my story across, perfectly fine, check, we're good. And I found myself struggling, literally struggling. I haven't written a thing down, aside from when all of you ladies have talked, I have everybody's name and what you guys do. Um, but I haven't written anything down in terms of preparation of what I wanted to touch on, what did I exactly I wanted to share with, you know, with my story, with you guys getting to know me. And in all honesty, I wasn't gonna do it. Um, I woke up, actually, I didn't go to sleep at all last night. I'm running off of, 24 hours of fume my anxiety kicked up that high i just couldn't rest my mind right so i'm like it's it's no way i can share my story in front of strangers it's no way you know my story is going to be significant we're all going to pretty much say the same thing so what's the point whatever and then when i saw the list someone, i was like oh yeah they're not they're not going to need me and um i pushed myself through it and the title of this teresa is so amazing silence high violence right so just saying that over and over just made me say, let's come on in here and do it. 
So with that being said, waterworks aside, um, I was exposed to um, sexual violence at a very young age. Um, my earliest memory was two and it continued. And from then I was a very broken person and um, I was very depressed. So when I was in my first um, relationship, my first violent relationship, I didn't even realize that's what that was. I had no idea. I thought I was in a normal relationship and if anything went wrong, anytime I got hit, anytime I got spat on, anytime I got kicked, it was because I did something wrong, right? I always looked at myself as being the black sheep in the family because the expectations were so high. But I didn't understand at that time, it's because they saw the potential and they pushed me and they were hard on me and it was tough love. And I'm thinking like, it's me, I'm doing something wrong. So when I was experiencing these things, it took a very long time for me to realize, oh, this is abuse, this is not, okay i'm thinking it's normal i've seen it with different you know um adult um females in my family so i'm you know i'm thinking like this is just what happens you get out of land you're gonna get checked period and um it, it it took it took um it took two instances very specifically um that was my wake up time to go and the first one was i was saying this guy and I want to say, I was 18. I was 18 around the time I was dating this guy. And um, his form of punishment was playing Russian roulette. And it just so happened that um, I survived that round, but immediately something just kicked into gear and I'm fighting back and I'm trying to get out this house. And I end up running out with absolutely nothing. I'm barefoot in the middle of winter. I ran at least like 30 blocks down the street trying to get to my relative's house. I get to my relative's house and they kept saying, you need to call the police, call the police. And I'm like, no, he just needs to calm down. It's going to be okay. Um, we called the police. My relative disappeared because they actually harbored that individual. Wow. Who does that? So I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the police and, um, after they leave, because I couldn't find them, after they leave, my relative is walking up with my abuser and they're trying to explain the situation. Like, yeah, it, you know, it's just, you need to calm down in the situation. And I just snapped. I want to say two weeks later, um, I went to the Navy and I was doing really well. Um, I was like a week away from graduation and I had a nervous breakdown out of nowhere. I had triggers at that point. I didn't even know it. And I snapped mentally, um, completely lost my mind. I had to call my mother from the psych ward and let her know I wasn't graduating. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting kicked out. I can't do this. And so naturally, as soon as I get out, I went straight, straight into another abusive relationship. And I'm thinking like, this is my calling. I attract broken people. I'm a healer. Um, I'm thinking this is my job, right? Cause I'm an empath. So it's my job to fix you. And I'm a, <laughs> we gonna get through this together and just let me know what your triggers are. You know, trying to play counselor and don't even know anything. But I really thought that and, and really was convinced by that for so long. Um, my last wake up call and I haven't been a repeat offender since. Um, this, uh, this guy, I had my daughter, she was, she was six. She was either five or six at the time. And, um, it was a regular day. I was going to pick him up from work and I don't know 
what happened. It, it was not an abusive relationship. He only abused me that one time, that one day, and it was with intent to try to kill me. Um, he knew that I was depressed. He knew I had PTSD. He knew that I had suicidal thoughts. So in his way of telling me, of trying to kill me was, I'm trying to help you. This is what you want. So what's the problem? And after trying to fight him off for so long, I just kind of gave up and was like, you know what? This is it. He's right. This is it. And um, the police came and it took a while. They had to come several times because every time they came, you know, he's got my neck at the door and a knife in my back. And he's like, tell him you're fine. Tell him to go away. And I'm like, I, you know, everything's fine. I'm okay. Everything's all right. And they would leave, but my neighbors would keep hearing me being thrown against the wall. They would hear my screams. They would hear the shouts. They would hear things breaking. And they're out in a hallway screaming like, I think he's killing that girl. So they're constantly calling 911 over and over. And on a third visit, um, they, actually, they actually came in um, and they were able to assess that situation. I went upstairs to my sister's home. We were in an apartment complex and um, he barricaded himself inside the home. The police then said they couldn't remove him. And um, I ended up going to the hospital to get checked out. While I'm at the hospital, while I'm giving my statement, I come home because I'm thinking like I'm gonna pack a bag and go stay with somebody. I gotta get out. My home was destroyed. He robbed me. I had nothing left in my home. It went from fully furnished to a vacant apartment. Um, everything that I value, things like my sewing machine, I was a seamstress at one point, you know, my arts and crafts, my daughter's things, my cat, everything was destroyed, completely destroyed. My bedroom was set on fire. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. I had no choice but sleep and I did. But with that, um, I hooked up with a lot of different organizations. I got counseling, I got help. Um, I created this family, this little safety net, and it was amazing. But what got me started on my organization is called Rihanna's Treasures Gifts. My daughter's name is Rihanna, and she's an empath too, but she's such an awesome little girl. The way that she got through it, the way that she coped through what she saw mommy going through was to help other people. So while we're in our group, you know, they had the kids group and she'll talk and she'll find out they didn't have toys or, or whatever the situation was. And she's like, you know, sneaking toys as people give it to them and give it to them. I'm like, what happened? Where's your stuff? I gave it to them. They're going through something. So we created this organization where we collect donated things, clothes, toys, shoes, hygiene products, beauty products, everything you could possibly think of that you need inside your home that in case you leave or in case everything is destroyed and you don't have it, you have an organization, you have a group of people who care and will give you all of that. Um, and that's pretty much it. I honestly didn't even think I would talk this long, but that's how my organization got started. That's who I am. Um, for those of you who are watching, this is a great place to be. It's a lot of amazing resources, a lot of beautiful stories. I am so, so proud of each and every one of you. The strength <laughs> to do this is is something is something else. And Teresa, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, and thank you for being here, and thank you for what you do with Rihanna's Treasure. Um, I think that's awesome that you, because you are correct. There are so many times when survivors leave, they're left with nothing. So it's so amazing that you're able to give them something, so they they at least have something. So that I, I love that. 
That's awesome. Thank and before you. we, um, we're getting down to our last five speakers in this all-star cast, but before we get to the last five speakers, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things that um, she just talked about. One of the things she talked about was like um, in that relationship that there had only, um, you know, at that time, up until that time, there had been like the one incident of, of, of abuse. Um, sometimes that does happen in relationships, but it's still um, an abusive relationship. It can also be emotional, a lot of more emotional abuse that's going on than physical, or it could be that it's a combination of emotional, physical, and financial. Um, myself and my last abusive relationship, I was in two abusive relationships. And then the last one, um, he, he assaulted me in August, which was one, time one. And then the very last one, which was time two, which is November of 2019, I was punched in the face. So those were only two times physical out of the entire relationship, but still it was an abusive relationship. And of course there was emotional and financial abuse that I endured as well. But sometimes people, um, I just wanted, you know, the audience to understand that, that sometimes it may not, you know, it can vary. There are some abusive relationships where the physical abuse is every day. And then there are some abusive relationships where it was like my past one, where there was only two physical incidents. So I just want to be clear about that, that it can vary from different relationships. The other thing that she touched on was she said that a lot of times people do question the victim. They say, why do they stay? Why do they stay? Um, that is something that does happen. And a lot of people may not understand about the trauma bond. The trauma bond is an addiction, just like an alcohol addiction, just like a drug addiction. Um, the difference is that the trauma bond is something that domestic violence victims have. It's a type of toxic bond that occurs when the abuser alternates between creating highs and lows within the relationship and they offer reward or punishment as they deem fit. They will train the victim that happiness is solely dependent on how well they can please the abuser and the bond can outlive the relationship, leaving the victim craving comfort from the very person who hurt them. So one of the key components of that is, and I'll read it again, is the bond can outlive the relationship. So a lot of times people can be out of the abusive relationship for two years and the trauma bond is still lasting three and four years because it, people aren't clear that it is an addiction, just like alcohol, just like a drug addiction, and just like alcoholics and um, heroin addicts or any other type of drug addiction, they have to fight every, and work every day to stay sober survivors have to work at that trauma bond every day as well to and that's why no, going no contact with the abuser or minimal contact if you have children is so important because you have to work at that trauma bond so that is one of the reasons why one of the many reasons why victim stays of course there's other reasons as well as financial and things like that but i really wanted to touch on that reason because a lot of people don't understand the trauma bond and why victims stay it is an addiction and it is addiction that the victim has to work every day at. So I just wanted to touch on that before we get started with our next speaker. Thank you so much. Our next speaker is Rochelle Morishaw. She is a domestic violence survivor and the founder and CEO of Women Helping Women. So thank you, Rochelle, for speaking. Take it away, Rochelle. Good night. I hope everybody is doing well. And thank you to everybody that's looking at this from Facebook Live for hanging in there with us. Like to yes, definitely. I'm a survivor and the founder of Women Helping Encouraging Women. Prior, when I first got Teresa's message, I'm like, okay, cool. Then I saw the email. I'm like, cool, we could do five minutes. I, I, I think I could, I could do this. 
Then I came out here today with all these powerful, beautiful, empowering women. And I swear to God, each and every one of our stories, everything that we survive, they are all interchangeable in one way or another. I don't think even our stories are not identical. So much of us probably just listened to the person before like, okay, maybe I should change my story because I went through this, 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 and this. You know, it all begins to sound the same, even though it's different people. I think my uh, earliest experience with, and let me explain, as a survivor and as an advocate, I am an advocate for domestic violence, sexual assault, and child victims, because that, that's everything that I've experienced in, over my lifetime. My earliest experience would have been about age four or five, when my mom was going through it a long time ago. I'm from the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas in the Caribbean. When my mom was a victim herself, and to be honest, I didn't even know what domestic violence was until I graduated from college probably in 2011, to be honest. So all the years prior, everything that I was going through, I just know if something didn't feel good, I needed to get out of it, which is what I did. But I didn't even know what the definition was until I went to school. Like I was started saying, my earliest experience with it would have been around age four or five. My mom sent me to live with one of her relatives in New Jersey due to the fact that she didn't want me around it. That adult, that aunt was experiencing the same thing. So I was sent to another aunt. Eventually my mom decided, if I can't be protected where she's sending me to not be around us, the best place for her to be is with her. So best place for me to be is with her. So eventually I went back to the Virgin Islands. And like I think it was Cassandra said, due to the fact that so much has happened and we have five minutes, I'm gonna bounce around a little bit, but I'm gonna focus mainly on my childhood. Because like some of y'all also mentioned, for me, part of my breaking point was when I had my kids. I know what I didn't like as a child and I didn't want my kids to experience that. And for me, I reside now in Toledo, Ohio. So for me, when CSB gave me the option to either they take my kids or he leave, it really wasn't a second thought about it. He had to go. There is no way I'm gonna lose my kids to the system over a man. I just couldn't do it, I'm never gonna do it. I will never put anything on anybody before my kids except God. I can't do it. You know, so like I say, I'm probably going to bounce around because we only have the five minutes. As far as the sexual assault piece go, and I'm going to be touching more on this in a couple of weeks. I'm going to get better at the whole. I know a lot of people always say, well, when they do, when you reach out to us, when you reach out to my organization, we do the work. We're not as visible, visual and social media as other people, because we don't have a lot of volunteers. So when you reach out to us, we're always there. We're definitely getting the work done. We got proof of that, but I'm not always on Facebook. However, if you need to reach us, that's fine. Let me get back to what I was saying though. With the sexual assault piece, the night before my 14th birthday, I was raped by a family friend. And I think for me, it's just been a lot of trust issues since then. I think a lot, of, a lot of the problems is, with a lot of the parents is, we don't communicate with the kids. That was my problem with me and my mom. I didn't find out until 
literally a few months ago in 2020 that my mom was actually doing the best that she could to help me at the time. My mom never communicated with me. And that's why communication between me and my kids is so important. This was before I even found out that my mom was doing her best. I was, my mom was going to therapy to do whatever she could to help herself, to help me and her, my other siblings. I thought the lady I was calling Auntie Delsa was literally just my aunt. I came to find out that she was actually my mom's therapist trying to help my mom this entire time. My mom is actually from a different island from myself. She is from St. Kitts. It's owned by England, you know, the British West Indies. And when she came to my island at the age of 16, she was raped. So my mom never had any help. And from my mom not knowing what to do, I just had to take the best parts of what I did like and leave what I didn't like to decide how I want to raise my kids. And there's so much more to the story that we definitely can't get into tonight. But unlike all the other awesome authors, I'm not one yet, but I'm working on a book. And if I could ever find the time to sit down and complete it, <laughs> I'll be able to share the, story, share the story in full. But for now, without being able to dive into everything, I just want to say, please communicate with your kids. Please. They know more than we tell them. They're more, they know more than we think they know. Just talk to them. I understand there are certain things that we might not be able to tell them because of their age, but please keep your kids involved. Let them know. Talk to them. It, it, I really think that if my mom had communicated with, and I'm not mad at her. I don't blame her, and I forgave her about a year ago. I'm absolutely not mad at her because I know better now, but I really think if she had communicated with me, a lot of things, I might have made a lot of different choices. I might have got out of a lot of bad relationships earlier. Like I said, I'm not mad at her and I love her and I appreciate her, but due to what I went through, made sure that I decided to parent differently. It's very important for us to communicate with our kids, you know? So that is one thing that I wanna say. I originally went to school to become a cop and based on what they teach us, <laughs> I decided being an advocate was more important because what I went through as a victim and what they are not trained to do, what we are trained to do as advocates was more important for me to be there for survivors than it was to go and lock up the bad guys. I had to check my biases and decide what was best for me and the people in the community. So I'm gonna end there and thank you, Teresa and everybody have a blessed night. I will uh, leave the information for the page and we are doing better at being visual and social media. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and thank you for sharing. You did touch on some a couple of things. Well, first two, um, yes, the abusers do have very similar characteristics, so there are some similarities um, when hearing survivor stories, but then each um, survivor has a unique story in that they have experienced you know, different things. But one of the things that you also touched on too that I really like is that communicating with your kids is so important, and it, it really is. Um, communicating with your kids and letting them know what healthy relationships are and showing them examples of healthy relationships. A lot of times, sometimes um, survivors didn't have healthy relationships with their, their own parents, um, and then it, it you know, it just goes down generation to down to generation. So it's so important to try to break the cycle and to communicate with your kids and show them and explain to them too, not just 
um, hi, not just um, explain to them what healthy relationships are, but also show them what healthy relationships are. So yes, um, you touched on something that was very, very important. Thank you for that. And we are down to our last four speakers. I want to thank um, all of our viewers for hanging in with us um, this long. We are down to our last four speakers of the night in this all-star cast. So thank you so much for hanging in with us. We are down to the last four speakers. And without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and get down to that, um, those last four speakers. Our next speaker is Tisha Dolby. She has dedicated herself to helping others by utilizing her 25 plus years of experience working with various organizations in roles such as mentor, guest speaker, facilitator, and supportive services. Tisha is the executive director and, and founder of Power, Passion, and Purpose Incorporated which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on love, support, and understanding without judgment or condemnation. The Power, Passion, and Purpose organization and family works to meet the clients in the community where they are and help nurture them through traumatic situations. So thank you, Tisha, for joining us, and please welcome Tisha Dolby to speak. Thank you. I love all of your stories, and thank you for your transparency and sharing. Thank you, Teresa, for providing this opportunity for all of us. And thank you for letting us feel and having this safe space, holding this space for us as we do this. Um, it can be very empowering for us to continue to do what we do in the community, in our families, and within ourselves. So that being said, I want to take about one minute. And I've been, I know y'all see me with my head down. I'm a writer. So I'm always taking notes. And some of the things that I wrote down, you know, where I was pulling from everybody's story was, you know, being able to love the unlovable, standing in and on our truth, learning our triggers, disassociation. Um, I know the lie, I told the lie. I, I know the lie, I lived the lie, I told the lie. God trusted each and every last one of us with our scars. Um, abuse is abuse, whether it's one time or a hundred times. Sanctuary, transparency, and safe haven. Those are things that I wrote down as I was pulling from everybody's story. I, just like everyone else, my story is very similar. Um, mine started probably at the age of three but I was destined not to be here to begin with. My mother was uh, 14 when she got pregnant, 15 when she had me, and 16, turned 16 four months later. My father was a heroin addict. There was drug addiction, alcoholism on both sides of my family. So what really could she have given me? She wasn't even equipped to give me what I needed. And her herself running from her childhood traumas caused me to have trauma. And I am a survivor overcomer of child abuse, domestic violence, sexual assault, and loss of a child. I've, I've endured it all. I've, like I tell people, there's not too many topics that can come up that I can't say, check, that's me. Um, my first four, adult relationships or domestic violence. My first domestic violence uh, situation 
I was in my first adult relationship after aging out of the system that did not work for me. Um, I was with a, a gentleman that was eight years my senior, <laughs> um, ex-military man. He was fresh out of the Marines, toxics from the beginning, did not need to be with him. I'm fresh out of child abuse. He's fresh out of the Marines and had served in two wars. Didn't work. Um, our biggest encounter would be, I was four months pregnant with my second child, had just found out that I was pregnant and he literally jumped over the banister because I tried to run out the apartment because he was beating me. And he pulled me back up the steps and down the hall um, by my hair. I got out of that relationship only to go back. The cycle hadn't been broken. It took the rest of my pregnancy for us to get back together, but I did go back. And it took five years, five years for me to leave him altogether. And that cycle just continued until I was pregnant with my fourth child. My last two children are Irish twins. They're 11 months apart for three weeks. They're the same age. Um, I'm trying to fit as much in as the five minutes I can. Uh, but in that relationship, I was having back-to-back -back pregnancies, knowing I did not want that life for my children. I was on my fourth child by the fourth man. And I was like, I'm broken. I don't know how to pick. So since I don't know how to pick, I chose my children over me. I, I tell people all the time, I grew up saying, I'm never gonna be like my mother. I'm never gonna be like my mother to turn out just like that because it was packaged different. It looked different. It didn't come to me the way that I saw, but because I did not see healthy relationships, I knew all the things that I did not want, but nothing of what I wanted. I had no, I was spending so much of my life trying to survive, trying to live for tomorrow because I had a grown man throwing me across the room, beating me like I was a man in the street, throwing me out of cars, putting me out on the side of the road. So how are you supposed to know? And through my organization, I work with women to figure out what your trigger is, how to look in the mirror and own what you went through, whether it's the past or what you're currently going through that you may have put yourself in because you didn't see the warning signs or you didn't take heed to the warning signs, but also how to love how to love past because most people, you know, one of my favorite sayings is hurt people hurt people. And because they weren't given the tools to make different choices and decisions, that's what they pass on. My first abuser was my stepdad. And he was a stepchild who was abused by his dad because he was the only thing in the house that didn't fit. 
fast forward to when it came to me at five years old was my story and it just got worse and you know I tell people all the time what do you want your I ask the first question I ask the women I work with is who are you and I typically get labels I typically get labels no we're going to remove those labels because when we remove those labels, we can find out who you are. What makes your heart tick? What's you, or what are you passionate about? What do you love? So we can heal, use those things. Candles, love them. Dancing, love it. Singing, do it all. I implement that. I teach them how to implement those things into their everyday life. Because you have to have something to focus on while you're healing. Because unfortunately, as most of us are, we're mothers. My children had to watch me heal. My children had to watch me grow. I could not be where I am today had I not endured what I've been through. And the last thing I'll share with you guys before I left, my, my switch was when I lost my daughter. It was when I lost my daughter. Because outside of the abuse, I was, able, I was numb to all of that. I was numb to the abuse but I lost my 10 month old daughter who would be turning 26 on the 17th if she was still here. She passed away from SIDS, but I didn't even have a typical SIDS situation. She wasn't at home, she wasn't in a crib and she was not asleep. And I was in my first adult domestic violence relationship a week after I found out I was pregnant. So when, I, when we say we got a lot going on, I understand where y'all are, but on 26 years later, on this side, God trusted me with my scars. And it's not for me to hold my testimony and my story back because there's so many other women who are suffering in, the, in silence, who are saying, I don't deserve anything better. You are beautiful. You are value. You have purpose. You, if you got breath in your body, you have a purpose to fulfill. And all of us, I love this community. I love this sisterhood. Now what I've chosen, no. But we are powerful. We are powerful. It wasn't done to you, it was done for you. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was an awesome testimony. Thank you. Yes. Give her a round of applause. That was an awesome testimony. You have been through a lot and, and you are correct. You are, this is a, a sisterhood of just powerful and wonderful, amazing women. Thank you so much for that. And we are down to our last three speakers of the night. So thank you so much again to our wonderful audience that is hanging in with us with this all-star cast. We are down to our last three speakers and our Last um, three speakers, I'm going to go ahead, is Angela Hayes. She is a single mother and a lifelong survivor of domestic abuse. Angela is currently, she currently resides in South Arkansas with her daughter, and Angela is currently in college to obtain her bachelor's degree in counseling. Angela is also the education director for an upcoming nonprofit organization that assists domestic violence victims and their children nationwide. So without further ado, Angela Hayes, please go ahead. Hey everyone, thanks for having me, Teresa. I appreciate it. Um, I've got two parts to my story. Um, whenever I was three is what set my life up for um, 
craziness, I guess, so to speak. Um, I was molested by my father when I was three years old and it kind of set the tone for the way the rest of my life would fall into place. Um, I guess right after high school, I, I struggled um, throughout my whole childhood to make decisions, to pick friends, um, to develop relationships that were healthy. Um, I struggled with, you know, a lot of bullying in school and things like that. And so when I, I graduated, um, it kind of put me in, in a different mindset because I was, for once, I had adult decisions to make and adult relationships to make and had no clue how to do any of that um, healthy, you know. And I fell into the wrong path of life and um, struggled with substance abuse for years. Um, my very first domestic violence relationship was with my first husband, um, the father of my child. And for almost five years, um, it was, it was pretty tough. Um, whenever my daughter was born, I finally had enough, like everybody else said. Um, I wasn't going to let my, my daughter to grow up and watch her father abuse her mother. You know, I didn't want her to grow up seeing that or thinking that that was okay by any means, because it's not, it's not okay for our children to watch that, especially our daughters, um, because they start to believe that that's what they, you know, that that's normal and it's not, it's far from normal and it's far from anything that anybody would want for their children. Um, fast forward a little bit, you know, I, I got a divorce and things changed and, um, when my daughter was five years old, I got into a relationship with a guy who I never, never in a million years dreamed would have turned out the way it did. He was just like the rest of you said, absolutely wonderful. He was handsome. He had charisma. He, you know, had a smooth tongue and knew how to talk. And um, he kind of got me isolated from my family and my friends. The very first episode where I knew I was in a mess, um, you know, he took me into the woods and took me to a hole that he had dug and made me beg for my life. And um, I knew then that I was in a serious, serious problem. Um, after that, you know, we had an instance where he had stolen my car and um, I went to the to meet him because I was trying to get my car back. and. I did. He gave me my car. Um, it had completely been gutted out. No, no anything in there. And I was like, man, how could somebody do that? I'm a single mom. What, you know, what, are, what would you do that for? You know? Um, but that was just the beginning of the end. Um, he held me in the woods hostage at gunpoint with my five-year-old daughter, uh, in the car with the windows rolled up and it was about 110 degree weather outside. Um, this is South Arkansas and it gets hot. And I was scared for my daughter's life. I was scared for my life. And, you know, I never thought I would go back after that. Never in a million years. Well, lo and behold, I did. And my mom said that when I walked out of her house that day, she knew that the next time she would see me, I would either be maimed or disfigured for the rest of my life or I would be in the casket. She knew that things were really bad and I wouldn't listen to anybody. It was just me making my own adult decisions that I thought were the right thing to do at the time. And, um, he moved me out of the county where, or out of this district where the police would not be looking for him um, because he did have a warrant for, a, you know, several charges from holding me in the woods hostage. And um, on July the 27th of 2015, um, my life changed. Um, 
he had come home and wound up falling asleep and I looked in his phone, you know, to get some, uh, somebody's phone number, I guess. I don't know. And I noticed that there were some things that he had been doing that he should not have been doing. And I confronted him with it and that was the wrong thing to do. And um, my daughter witnessed the man that she looked at as, you know, somebody that was supposed to love her and her mom. She witnessed him try to take the last breath out of my body that night, tried to cut my hands off, um, had a loaded and caught gun screaming and acting crazy. And if it wasn't for her coming in there that night, I believe 100% that I would have lost my life. And that's when I knew that not for me, but for her, things had to change. Um, so I, you know, I made what I, a lot of changes and did what I had to do in order to uh, be able to give her a better life than that. And since then, things have been much, much different. Um, I've worked as a shelter coordinator for domestic violence uh, nonprofit here in my hometown. And I have also um, started working with Lighthouse uh, Safe from Domestic Violence. And it's an upcoming national um, nonprofit organization where we kind of provide an underground railroad for domestic violence victims and their children to make it from one side of the country to the other or um, provide services for them, you know, anywhere in between. Um, there's also been another really big um, event that has happened and it's not just been to me, but a very dear friend of mine now, um, her daughter, Alyssa Cannon and Braden Ponder, were brutally murdered in their home in June of 2019 by a man named Jory Worthen, who is still on the run that nobody has seen or heard from since then. And it breaks my heart for Angela Cannon and her family because they have struggled with so much. Um, they're looking for justice for their family. And it kind of made me feel like this is maybe what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's kind of given me a direction on wanting to step out and provide some uh, education and some awareness to the community because there's no reason that somebody should disappear off the face of the earth for a year after brutally murdering two people, a four-year-old and a 20-year-old mother. Um, you know, he's on the FBI's uh, 15 most wanted right now. You know, we're trying to find him. Um, I'll drop the links for some different things that y'all could check out, you know, and help support the look for him because they're suffering. They want justice for Alyssa and Brayden. And um, so we're fighting to get that. Thank you. And thank you for sharing. You are doing a lot to help promote awareness and doing a lot to help victims. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing. We really appreciate that. And especially with what the Lighthouse is doing with um, providing um, services for victims of domestic violence to get from one side of the country to another. That is really awesome. So thank you. Thank you. And we are down to our last two speakers of the night on this all-star cast. We only have two more speakers, so thank you again, audience, for hanging in there. Our last two speakers, so we're going to go ahead and introduce our next speaker, Julia Tilly. She was in an abusive relationship for four years, and Julia was able to finally escape her abusive relationship. She moved out of state and across the country for the first time. Julia had to start her life completely over and rebuild her life. She has since then created the Healing Journal Project, which is a way for people to connect across the world through art, creativity, and expression to overcome abuse and obstacles. Julia has also created a support group with the same name, the Healing Journal Project, to help other survivors. Um, she has just shipped out the first set of the journals for the Healing Journal Pro 
project. She has overcome addiction, abuse, and is dedicated to helping others by speaking out about her experiences. Please welcome Julia Tilly. Thank you, she's on there. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. It's a, It really is just a huge blessing to be able to be here um, with everyone else. I, I'm really pretty fresh out of, of my relationship um, with my abuser. I only left him. Um, it was February 20th of this year. So it's really hopeful to see everyone and how far everybody has came. Um, it really gives me a lot of hope that I'll be able to help people just as much as all of you have. So I'm really excited for that. Um, as far as my troubles, uh, they started at a pretty early age. I have cerebral palsy and a disorder called syringomyelia. Um, which causes a lot of chronic pain, and uh, I have a, a little bit of a limp when I walk. So growing up, I got bullied a lot, and um, I guess was just really susceptible to um, being influenced by negative behavior, um, and just because I wanted to be accepted. Um, when I was 15 years old, I ended up um, getting raped when I was in church, actually, um, in the youth group. Um, so that that was a real struggle for me for a while, um, but I was able to overcome that. And then um, not too far into my 20s, I moved out into my first apartment, fell down, had some injuries, and ended up on opiates. Um, prescribed and it just spiraled out of control. Um, I ended up becoming addicted to heroin and at one point I uh, got MRSA from a dirty needle and spent an entire year in the hospital trying to recover from that. Shortly after I got out of the hospital, um, I started dating this guy and he ended up um, what he was doing drugs and he kind of lost his mind one night. Um, my abuser was actually a friend of his and was there that night and pulled my boyfriend at the time off of me. Um, and he was a good friend. So he offered to let me move in with him and stay with him. And, uh, you know, was such a gentleman, like everyone else said, narcissists are very, very good at, you know, playing the good guy when they need to. Um, you know, he let me have his bedroom all to himself. He slept on the couch for over a month, um, you know, just to make sure that I felt safe. But um, after we started dating, uh, uh, he, he was prescribed Adderall and he really struggled with taking it as prescribed. And he would get his script and he would stay up for days at a time and um, this caused drug-induced uh, delusions. So I didn't understand at the time because I, I didn't really know anything about schizophrenia, um, but I didn't understand that all the times that he said that, uh, you know, he would see me doing things or he would hear me saying things. I thought that, you know, he was just making things up to um, upset me. 
it wasn't until I got out that I later out found on that he was actually uh, paranoid schizophrenic from the drugs. Um, it was, it was a really eye-opening experience, I guess I can say. Um, like everyone else, I, I didn't think it would happen to me at all. Um, you know, I, everything was perfect. And as soon as the abuse started, it was just, you know, one night with the drugs and, and then next time it'd be the next month it would happen again. And each time he kept apologizing and said it was going to be better. And then the next month came, he'd get his prescription and it would happen again. And it started off, you know, just a, you know, a smack here or whatever. Um, three years later, we had full security cameras around the house that recorded audio and video. He had, um, he tracked me on Google Maps. So I had to not only share my location with him, but he also had access to all of my emails. Um, and he, every time I left the house, he made me, um, have him on Bluetooth so that he could hear everything that I said, no matter where I was or who I was talking to. So, you know, two years of work and he heard everything that happened. And, um, you know, sometimes it was, you know, just the, the psychological things, but, um, the physical abuse got really bad. Uh, I, I don't really have any place on my body that he didn't leave a scar. And um, I, when I ended up leaving in February, um, basically a few months before his, his father passed away, my grandfather passed away, my uncle passed away, my cousin passed away. And um, he, I was there for his father when he died, um, but I wasn't allowed to see my family. I wasn't allowed to go to Christmas because I had a black eye and a busted lip. And that kind of, you know, I kept thinking my, my family is losing the rest of my family. I, I don't want them to lose me. And I didn't really know how I was going to get out. But um, one day he, he was whipping me with a belt and he made me take off my shirt. Um, he whipped my back completely to, until it was purple and bleeding and then made me roll over on my back so that he could hit my stomach. And he said, I've left scars on you everywhere, but here, this is going to make sure that no one will ever see you with your clothes off again. Not a doctor, not another man, not your family, no one. And I don't know why, but that triggered something in me. Um, that and just knowing that I didn't want my friends and family to have to deal with the grief of of losing me if something happened. So as soon as he sat down, I got up and I ran out the door in the middle of February with no shirt on, bleeding all over the place and screaming. And it was, um, it was only the second time I had ever actually tried to escape. So I, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't have any plan. I just went for it. And um, luckily, my neighbors ended up coming outside and pulling him off of me and getting me clothed, taking me to the hospital. I had a broken neck, a broken back. I have tissue damage uh, pretty much everywhere and CPTSD. And the first month or so was really hard, but 
Um, Teresa was one of the first people that I had met um, in the support groups and, and her with many other wonderful people, you know, really inspired me that there is something better out there. And I, after being through bullying, addiction, abuse, everything else, I just knew that I couldn't not spend my time helping people. I know how it felt to be the one person that, you know, you, you need someone, but you don't have someone. And I know how scary that is. And I just never wanted anyone else to feel that. And if I could do anything in my power to help that, um, I will. That's why I, I created the, the healing journal project. I'm making a bunch of little journals and sending them out to people in the world so that they could fill them with art and, and poetry, um, photography, their thoughts, questions, advice, anything like that so that they could connect with people, um, you know, through their creativity and their expression and that way it would allow people to become more vulnerable in a way that they would feel more comfortable. And it would also allow people to see that there are far more things that we have in common that than we have that separate us. So I, I just wanted to try my best to help people see that we can all strive for greater things. We can all overcome whatever comes to us and feels like we're never going to get through we can get through it we just need to support one another and you know try and love yourself just the way you love everyone else I know that can be hard um, when you've been through abuse but you know give that love to yourself and that love will radiate off of you and you will attract the right kind of people in your life so Thank you so much, Julia, for sharing your story. Yes, please give her a, a round of applause. Thank you so much. You've been through so much. And the fact that you're helping people and you're doing so many amazing things with the Healing Journal Project. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you so much for being brave to share. So thank you. Thank you. And finally, our last speaker of the night. So I want to thank our audience for sticking with us. We have had some amazing speakers. Um, just some uplifting and powerful, inspirational, and just inspiring queens. It's just been a wonderful night. So our last and final speaker is Nicole Davis. She is a domestic violence survivor and the founder of Survivors Overcoming Abusive Partners Support Group. Nicole has obtained her bachelor's degree and now is currently working on her master's degree in clinical counseling. So thank you. Without further ado, please welcome Nicole Davis, our final speaker of the night. Hi, Teresa. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to, to be here and for all of us to be here. You are like an inspiration. Thank you. <laughs> so I did write a little something and I wanted it to be um, a message overall. And I promise you guys, it won't be long. <laughs> Becoming a domestic violence advocate was not a choice, it was a calling. I, for years, I lived free of his abuse, but I was still a victim and a prisoner in my mind. The hypersensitivity of our last encounter haunted me and I used alcohol in order to erase the memory of the pounding at my window, which led to his hands around my neck my life flashed before my eyes, as did those of my children. 
the same child which he would later use the system to re-victimize me over and over again. I had nightmares and at night I would fight in my sleep, reliving um, the dangling above the floor, being suspensed by his hands around my throat. But inside of me, I knew that I had to change and I knew that I had to fight back. And I knew that what was happening to me was not just happening to me, it was also happening to others. The only way to stop it from happening at all was to rise up and to advocate for those who had not yet found their voice and to educate the system that constantly failed us. Our voice is strong and powerful and as long as we remain diligent, our message will remain strong. I've been a survivor for over five years and I'm committed to the awareness of domestic violence. For those who do not know me, in, 2000, in July of 2015, my abuser, um, I was asleep in my bedroom. He came through my window and this was the last time that he abused me. He kicked in my window AC unit, proceeded to abuse me, grabbed me by my neck and choked me from my bedroom into my living room and then proceeded to kick me in my stomach. It was in that moment that I knew that he was going to kill me and it was only a matter of time before that happened. Unfortunately, there are women who do not realize that and they lose their lives or the lives of their children in the process. It's not only important for us to promote domestic violence awareness for those we have lost, it's important for us to promote the awareness of domestic violence to reduce the amount of victims that we will lose in the future. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, thank you so much. And I wanna thank um, Nicole and all of our cast that came out to speak to us. Um, today, all of we had some really wonderful guest speakers, so I want to thank each and every one of you who came out to speak today. You guys were all amazing and brave and uplifting and encouraging, and I'm so glad that you shared your story because I, it is our hope that others watching this will learn something and will take something away from this. Um, we obviously want to promote domestic violence awareness, but it is our true hope that we are educating people on domestic violence and that they are learning from watching this. So I want to thank each and every one of you who came out to speak tonight. Thank you so much. I also want to encourage our audience to reach out to any of these ladies. Um, they are authors, they are nonprofit organization, executive directors and founders. They all have, some of them have projects, they are working on so many things and doing so many things um, for domestic violence survivors. Some of them are coaches as well. So please feel free to reach out to these ladies. Um, I'm going to close with um, reminding everyone about some of our events. We are having our candlelight vigil for those who have lost someone to domestic violence on October 16th, which will be live from this Facebook page. We are also having on October 22nd, our community panel called Love Is Not Abusive, where we will dive in and discuss issues in domestic violence, such as legal reform, trauma bonding, red flags, and it's basically um, an educational piece. And some of these ladies that were on tonight will also be on that same community panel, and it will again be streamed live from this page. So we invite you to join that as well. We also have live Wednesdays, which we will be going live every Wednesday from 
this Facebook page with Nikki, who just spoke, and as well as Yolanda Oliver, another nonprofit organization leader, where we will be discussing important issues in domestic violence. We also will have um, a shelter drive, so please um, feel free to take a look at the Narcissistic Domestic Violence Healing and Support Facebook page so that you can be a part of all of our events. Our events are all virtual this month and they will be streaming live from our Facebook page so you can be an interactive audience and a part of that as well. So thank you ladies for joining us. Um, you all are just amazing and awesome, truly awesome queens. And I thank you so much for being brave enough to share your stories. Thank you everyone and have a great night.